Well, we are incredibly honored to have a very special guest this week on our No Gray Areas podcast, pastor, author, mentor, leadership consultant. He's literally led thousands of people as a consultant in both the nonprofit and for-profit sector. He's written 10 books. I've always wanted to sit and have a personal conversation with him. And today you get to listen into that conversation. So here we go. Larry Osborne, it is an honor to have you here. What a! I, I'm going to just actually read some of your uh, pedigree here because oh. it's it's quite impressive. <laughs> and I really, for our listeners, I'm honored because I've read you've read written ten books, right? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think did I've my read... mother write this? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay. I pulled this off of different things. I but... know my mother-in-law didn't write it. Yeah. But we'll go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, you're you're a pastor, author, mentor, leadership consultant. You've coached and trained thousands of top-level leaders in both nonprofit and profit sectors. I think that's very important for people to understand. You worked a lot in the church world, but you've look, worked a lot outside of the church world too, haven't you? Absolutely. Proverbs works in the church and works for a king in the kingdom or yep. wherever it would be. Leadership yeah. is leadership, yep. correct? Um, you currently serve as a teaching pastor at North Coast Church. You pastored that church 44 years. You've been at that yeah, church. Yeah, 42, actually. Yeah, 42 yeah, years? Uh-huh. And when you started there, it was about 100? Uh, there were 70 adults at our first service and a million rugrats, because imagine a 28-year-old guy and a 24-year-old wife. Uh, you're going to draw really young families. So yeah. I think there were 70 adults that first uh, week. and Wow. I, I, 128 total when you count the nursery and all the little kids. So Yeah. It's a little bigger than that now, isn't it? A little bit. Yeah. 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 So now like what, you have seven campuses or? Uh-huh. Seven campuses. I think pre-COVID physical attendance was like 13,000 plus. Yeah. Uh, and now you've got, of course, the hybrid of people who came back, people watch online yeah. and all the different things. Well, and you've you've written 10 books and I think I've read every one of them. And the thing that I love about your books, and this is what I've always said about your books. I'm not just saying this because you're sitting in front of me. I've said um, it's a little bit like when I would read a C.S. Lewis book. There's a lot of things underlined. Mm. If someone picked up one of your books that I had read, they'd see a lot of things underlined and a lot of notes written in the margin. And uh, part of that is, you're, I mean, God has just gifted you as a, as, as a person of wisdom. And it's one of the things you've done with leadership and churches mm-hmm. and businesses around the country is, is share that leadership. But you also have a very innovative mind. And in fact, you led some really innovative movements in the church world, correct? Uh-huh. So what what were some of those things? Was it back in the 90s where you started or maybe even the 80s where you started doing some of these yeah, that, was, that now would be considered common? Yeah, it was 1980 that my wife and I had the privilege to come here. Okay. And so long ago, far away in another galaxy. Uh, and uh, part of the important part of the story is we grew by one person during the first three years. So that 70 adults, new kid in town and all that, you get a, a rush of new families. There was about 90, 95. And three years later, there was about 91, 96. Uh, so we still call them the dark years for a variety of, of reasons. But it was during that time that I realized, you know, I need to do to lead the church, or if somebody was in a business, it'd be the same thing, uh, in a way that's aligned with how God made me Mm. and what my visions are, not how everybody else does it. Uh, And so at that point, we began to do things. And yeah, one of the first things we did that nobody was doing was uh, the idea of sharing the pulpit. Um, Most most, uh, churches are uh, like a Broadway uh, motif. 
If you've ever been to Broadway and got an understudy, you're disappointed because it's a star system. But that understudy is world-class at what they do. Mm -hmm. But you're disappointed. But if you go to a baseball game, which is built on a rotation system, you don't care you got the third pitcher in the rotation, as mm -hmm. that's how it is. And so our model was not just other voices, but other voices when I was in town. What made you want to do that? Because most people that are on the stage, and mm -hmm. I spent a lot of my life on the stage, you're on the stage because there's, I mean, you get, we're not, you know, as pastors, you wouldn't think we'd be like this, but there's something else a stage that you like, oh, yeah. that you're, you're yeah, you wired that way, yeah. which is why most don't want to give it up. You're saying, while you were in town, you were giving up that stage. Absolutely. Why because would you do that? It's a substitute if they're only speaking when you're speaking somewhere else or on vacation. Yeah. Uh, it's another teacher if you're there. So in the early days to establish it, part of it was the mindset in churches was we're paying you to do sermons, and if you're not preaching it, and I kept saying, no, you're paying me to help create, with God's help, a great church. Uh, I, you're not paying me to speak. You're paying me to lead. So you got you were getting push up pushback in those early days, even from like a board. Or... Oh, total pushback. And so I said, well, let me give it a try, uh, and you'll get a better church. You'll get a better Larry. We'll have multiple voices. So what I would do is, no one knows when you're on vacation, but the inner circle or the board or whatever. So I just for a few years came back a day early, sacrificed one day and uh, made announcements and sat in the front row taking copious notes. And it sent an incredible message to everybody. Oh, this other person is a worthy teacher, not the not the Broadway understudy, mm -hmm. but the next speech, uh, mm -hmm. teacher in the rotation. Next pitcher on the mound. Yeah, and you asked why. The, the why was pretty simple. It dawned on me about 200 one day. I was just thinking, I went, you know, historically, this is a massive church. Yes. You know, pre-mobility, uh, you did not have churches of two, three, four, five hundred. Yep. Uh, and and by that point, a church of three or four hundred, two, well, at least two hundred wasn't even considered that big. It was before mega churches really were all mm -hmm. over the map. But what hit me was we've got growing complexity here, and I need to lead and not just teach. So before the automobile, you go back through most of history, a pastor was the most educated or one of the most educated and very much a chaplain, a teacher, chaplain. There, You read the old books, there was no leadership component because mm -hmm. you didn't need to lead. Mm -hmm. A group of 170 needs a, a, like a, a coach of a team or whatever yep, it would yep. be. Uh, you're visiting hospitals. Bearing people, bearing yeah, people, totally. visiting. Yep, yep. Yeah, so not to denigrate a beautiful role, but it was a chaplain role. And suddenly once you hit 253, 400, there's a leadership component because there's an organization that suddenly has surfaced. Mm -hmm. um, and, and I realized that I needed weeks where I would wake up thinking about the church instead of the sermon. You always got something in the back of your mind. Mm -hmm. And on the weeks you teach, uh, even subconsciously, you don't know it, but you're thinking through, like we're working through John at North Coast now, mm -hmm. and I, I was doing a part of John chapter one this week, and all this week, subconsciously, I was thinking about that, even yeah, though I wasn't yeah, aware. Yeah. But I noticed real quickly the weeks that I wasn't teaching, I woke up wondering, why does our website suck? Yeah. I mean, just other things that pop into yeah. my head that instead of the back, yeah. they were at the front. And as you get larger, you got to deal with the front end. And this is, Larry, what you're talking about here, this is what I want our listeners to catch from this. If if you hadn't gone down the road of the being in the church world, 
I think you would have been in the business world and you would have been leading a business and doing some very innovative th Absolutely. things. Absolutely. And had a fun and served Jesus well there. You would have. You yeah. would have. Because I love what you just said. You're, you were thinking 2,000 years of church history and almost all of that time, what we're dealing with in the last two or three generations is is outside of the box of what they dealt with. And so Absolutely. I often, when, when people always talk about like, well, we got to get back to being a first century church, <laughs> I, I get what they're trying to say. But innovatively, you were thinking we're not like a first century church anymore because of the automobile. Absolutely. In fact, I well, not only that, we always idolize the past. Jesus yes. made a comment about prophets. He said they get killed, and after they're dead, they make a monument to them. Mm -hmm. But they didn't like them when they were alive. And I'll have people uh, in Christian circles say, I want a, a New Testament church. And I always ask, have you read the New Testament? <laughs> yes, exactly. That church was yeah. jacked up. Yep. Uh, all the letters are yeah, Paul and... Paul had to write all those yeah. letters because they were messed up. <laughs> yes. And and even the very early church, I go, are you a Gentile? And a lot of people are. I go, well, you realize they didn't want you in their church. Mm -hmm. And you realize they were disobedient to what's called the Great Commission to go into all the world. They stayed in their holy huddle until God had to allow persecution to drive them out. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, there were just all kinds of things wrong with that yeah, church. Yeah. God was at work then, he's still at work now. Yeah. Well, so you you have this innovative mind that God gave you and you innovated in the church world. You mentioned one of the things is you were one of the early ones that started thinking about a teaching team. What were the two other areas that you really innovated in? We talked about yeah, three Yeah, well, as far as we know, we were the first church to do a true teaching team that didn't have a theology of all the elders and everybody teach, but like you're in town and do that. Uh, probably the next one was the simplicity of sermon-based small groups, just mm -hmm. a lecture lab to close the back door rather than something on the front door where you divide and multiply and all that. That, yeah. that model seemed to work overseas in different settings, not here. And then... The third was, uh, we're actually recording this uh, in a little room that started uh, mm -hmm. the first video venue that became the multi-site thing way back in, oh gee, 1998 or something. Yeah. How incredible is that? You're sitting actually, this podcast studio. Yeah, it was kind of right weird when you asked me to come. I go, I know this room. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. How amazing is that? So I love that. And again, I don't want our listeners to miss that, that you've led in the church world and you've done innovative things in the church world. But I believe the mind that God gave you, you would have done the same kind of thing in the business world. Leadership is leadership and innovation is innovation, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Every time I have a friend who gets a major promotion to a C-suite or something is going on. I always tell them the same thing. I give them two books. One is uh, Peter Drucker's The Effective Executive yep. from way back last century, mid-century, because in that book was the seed of most things you read now in a Linsoni or, a, yep. you know, um, first things first and all that stuff yeah. was there. And then the other, I said Proverbs. So for 17 years, I read whatever proverb corresponded to the date in my personal pursuit of wisdom. It's like, I, Lord, I don't know how to lead. You had a king compile a book, I think, for his son, Rehoboam, mm -hmm. to be king, who ignored it. And so I'm going to read one chapter mm -hmm. every day that corresponds to the date. If I miss that, I can just pick it up three days later. I'll get it next month. And I would uh, ask myself, where am I seeing this? Mm -hmm. uh, where have I seen it? My Bible have little initials of names and places. And chapter 12, one month would be meaningless for four months. And then suddenly like, oh my gosh, the wisdom for today is right there. You know, and who knows, you might've been the one that gave me that idea because oh, okay. I did that for years. I actually grew up in a in the church and in Christian home, very legalistic in some ways. Um, 
going to a Christian school, but I came from a very broken family, a lot of hypocrisy mm-hmm. and kind of two two lives going on. And I realized as a young man, I don't know how what it means to be a good father, a good be- a leader, a good husband. And so someone gave me that idea, and it may have come from you. I don't know. Yeah, and well, I started I reading from for somebody. years. Yeah. I did the same thing. On the 10th day of the month, I read Proverbs 10. On the uh-huh. And exactly like you said, Proverbs 10 may not mean anything to me for a long time, and all of a sudden, one month I read it, and because of what's going on, right? Uh-huh. All these truths are popping out there. Yeah. yeah. Well, one of the things that we do on this podcast is it's about the power of choice and the complexity of human choice, because it's based on this. these two guys that made this mistake back in 1994. They're still paying for it today, and we're making a movie about it right now. We have this curriculum. But I'd love for someone who has wisdom and years of experience and leadership and innovation to unpack this a little bit, to think through, first of all, from a philosophical perspective, what is it about human choice that, that makes it so powerful compared to the animal, the rest of the animal kingdom, if we will, the rest of the animal kingdom? And then also I want to jump into the theological side mm-hmm. of it. So for a second, for a moment, try to pretend that you're not coming from a faith-based perspective and just from a philosophical perspective. That's kind of unfair to do yeah. for you because everything's filtered through a theological perspective with you, right? Well, it is for everybody, actually. It just depends on what okay, that theology there. is. Go there. Go yeah. there. I, I don't want to. I don't want to yeah. ignore what you just said because there's a lot of truth in that. Yeah. We. I mean, we all have a worldview. My worldview uh, has uh, the idea that Jesus Christ is creator of the universe and uh, uh, the savior of the world. Uh, and someone else might say all that is baloney. Uh, Confucius or whatever it would be they follow, or no, I make my own path. It, every single person has a worldview, a grid through which a they are. Yeah. That would say there is no God. It's totally. we're, we're, but that's their mm-hmm. worldview. So, yeah. and your worldview impacts how you make decisions. And uh, okay. so, to me, if, so what if you're you really saying good, to me is that's a that's a dumb question. You just yeah, no, me no. That. But if you want to make wise decisions, the first thing to question is your worldview. Mm-hmm. Is it accurate? And I think a lot of us we're like fish in water. You ask the fish, "How's the water?" It goes, "What water?" It's all it's known. So no matter what worldview we have, even as a uh, Christian, I would say, well. Have you really thought through your Christianity, or is it just something mom and dad had, or is it cultural? Because there are all kinds of uh, implications, get that Mm -hmm. word out, I speak for a living, not a very good one, uh, that come from uh, our worldview. We just make assumptions. So, you know, the old classic, we cut the end of the roast off and finally ask, and it was because great-grandma's oven was too small, so it's a family tradition. And there are all kinds of things that we do that way. We think, well, this is what integrity is. This is what morality is. This is what everybody does. And for me as a believer, even, well, this is what Christianity says. Well, is that really what it says or only the Christians I've known have said it? So wise decisions start with constantly checking upstream, does my worldview fit with reality? It so always I- needs some mid-course corrections. Let me just jump in here really quick, mm-hmm. I, and I want you to keep unpacking that because this is so deep where you're going with this. In my mid-30s, I was reading a book about worldview, the mm-hmm. importance of worldview, and they asked the question at the end of the book, where is your worldview tainted? And I wrote the author of that, and I said, you messed up my sleep for several nights because I wouldn't I wouldn't buy into or live out my worldview if I didn't mm-hmm. think it was working or that it wasn't truth. But he made me step back and go, no, actually, there's all kinds of things that are familial or cultural, um, cultural Christianity sometimes. And still to this day now, almost 20 years later, I'm, 
I'm still rocked by that question. Yeah, That's actually what you're telling us right now, right? You always ask, is this true? So a few moments ago, we were talking about idolizing the early church. I had done messages on why we want to be like it. Then I like I read, let's read the rest of Acts with a lens of, was that early church doing that? Oh, well, they didn't want anything to do with general uh, Gentiles. In fact, they fought tooth and nail when Gentiles started showing up. Uh, they were supposed to go out in all the world. Instead, they stayed behind with their holy huddle. Well, actually, if I want to follow all the things they do, do I have to meet every day? I mean, it just it just falls apart. Yeah. So part of even for me as a when I have the privilege of teaching the Bible, I always love to just sit on the side and look at the passage and go, huh, let's read the whole picture here and see the context of it rather than, you know, I call it Jesus junk, a little phrase that goes on a coffee mug or a poster or whatever it would be. Mm-hmm. And that's true in every part of life. Mm-hmm. It's more true today than ever because of social media. Mm-hmm. And what social media has done is we've always lived in echo chambers, always have. Yes. But it used to be your neighborhood or your geography. So somebody from the deep south would have a harder time when they moved to New England or all these different things because they were actually in an echo chamber. But now our echo chambers are by choice. Mm-hmm. So we can live in a, 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 a talk radio left or talk radio right uh, world. We can live in Fox land. We can live in MS, uh, NBC land. And everybody thinks they've got the perfect balance. But the reality is there is so much if you stay only in your echo chamber that is true. And so much you think is true, but you've never checked because you believe it because somebody told yeah. you. I get and that all the time. You're saying, people. you're suggesting that our echo chambers may be even worse off than in the past because of social media. Way worse off than in the past. I, yeah. I do this all the time. I, you I didn't sp- hesitate to answer I that. spend <laughs> an hour and a half pretty much every day chasing things on the internet, little system that I set up, feeling that my calling in life means that I better have a, a strong worldview of not what people say about these people, but what they actually say. So I literally read the original source newspapers and uh, things from the left and from the right every single day. And I laugh at how inaccurate each side's mm-hmm. uh, idea is of what somebody else thinks and believes. So when I'm in the right, anybody who disagrees with me is obviously stupid Mm-hmm. or immoral. And I get over to the left, and of course, vast majorities in between on this continuum, but they do the same thing. Anybody who's over here clearly is immoral or stupid, and I go, no, they're not. Yeah. No, they're not. Yeah. That's how would just we... part of life, always questioning, is this true? Yeah. A contractor knows. Measure twice, cut once. My dad would tell you I never learned that. I can <laughs> tell you that. He's not alive anymore, but he's been like, I tried to teach Patrick that when he was a yeah. boy, and he never got it. Yeah. I cut I cut once and yeah. then have to cut uh, two, three, four times after that. Yeah. To measure. Uh, and so, it still keeps getting too small, huh? Yes, exactly. <laughs> you can't lengthen or stretch a board. So going back to the complexity or the power of choices then, mm-hmm. so I, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. You can't separate theology and philosophy Um but then what, what is it about us as human beings compared to all of the other creation that makes choice so powerful with us or well, so we, different? Yeah, well, we seem to have the ability to be less genetic and environment-driven than the rest of creation. So we do get to a degree to create our own destiny. We can, we can choose to go upstream 
whereas you kind of you you look in the animal world of God's creation and there there's not a, a bird that can decide I'm not going to migrate. The drives are so great, whatever. And and so we have this ability to step back and say, do I really want to do this? But what we don't have is the ability to uh, change the outcomes. Our choices are going to make outcomes, even well-intentioned. And one of the great myths of our culture right now is if I have peace about something, it's okay, because God must be good with it. And if my intentions are good and my moral choices and life choices, everything's going to work out. But the truth is, if I take mislabeled medicine, I'm not going to get better, in fact, if it's Doesn't matter mislabeled. how good your intentions were. Absolutely, and I could die from it. Uh, even though I was told uh, inaccurately by somebody well-meaning who didn't know, hey, take two of these. I mean, it happens every day somewhere. Uh, and so choices have outcomes that are out of our control. Yeah. What we get to do is make the choice, which is why we need to measure twice and cut once. Yeah. That's a double-edged sword then, isn't Absolutely. it? Because there's good and bad with that, right? That from a faith-based perspective, we would say as the pinnacle of God's creation, we see that in the beginning mm-hmm. of the story, the beginning of the narrative, um, he created us with this choice. And you're saying, we're not like the birds. We're not running on instinct. It's not just that you have to migrate if you're a bird. You're going, we can we can push back against that. What's the what's the good and bad of that then? If, well, if we have that power as human this, beings. I mean, it's a beautiful power. The bad thing is we also tend to make ourselves our own God in the center of the universe. And so we think we know better from a biblical viewpoint. You see that in Adam and Eve from the very beginning, well, you know what? Maybe God's holding back because uh, I don't quite understand this and he, uh, he doesn't seem to have died eating of this thing, so let me eat it, not realizing, oh, it was spiritual death, not physical death. And it's a lie that has continued to this day. That's I mean, why I was smiling when you said yeah. that, when you used the words because they didn't really understand it. I'm like, man, how many times has that gotten me in trouble? I didn't really understand what God was doing, so then I decided I was going to do something my own way. Yeah. Right, and that's where you're going. That's the that's one of the yeah. negative sides. Everything has a built-in consequence, and we have bought the lie that good intentions and feeling peace about something means it's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I grew up in a generation that felt peace about you know I grew up here near the beach. We felt peace about going to the beach and putting baby oil all over our skin. <laughs> and I, now we know where that's gotten. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but we all felt good a lot about of skin it. cancer. It was a, yeah. a whole period of time where people felt peace and really good about, and hey, the science verifies uh, bloodletting will yeah. make this person better. Yeah, That's why I say I always go, I want to see what the results are. I don't care about your watering schedule. I want to see the fruit. And uh, if the fruit's no good, I need to change the watering schedule. No matter how much peace I feel about it or what everybody else is doing. That goes back to that book, though. Earlier in this interview, you started talking about this this book that you read many, many times, Proverbs. Mm-hmm. That goes back to the value of that, doesn't it? Because mm-hmm. those Proverbs are time-tested. They're time-tested, and they, they flow out of a value system. Mm-hmm. You know, And if I believe these things are true, then I'm going to make different. So unpack that. They flow out of a value system. Well, a person left to their own is going to make a mess of their life. A generous person is going to be well-watered. Well, in, in the short term, uh, generosity doesn't always seem like the right thing to do. Uh, but if you really believe, well, no, that's an insight into how life works, then you're going to grit your teeth and you're going to be generous. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, I mean, as as silly a little things of the service someplace is poor, 
uh, well, can I be generous and make somebody who's having a bad day have a better day? Or is everything hyper-transactional in my life? Oh, yeah. Proverbs would have told me, you know what? Give first yeah. uh, and, and, and be generous with yeah. people. Proverbs also would have told me the flip side of that, what's often called a poverty gospel, that in the house of the wise are stores of oil and grain. Well, am I a pure existentialist that believes, you know, I live once, better take it all now? Or do I live below my means? Do I build margin in my time? Do I build margin in every aspect of my life? Because in the house of the wise are stores of these things? Or nope, use it or lose it. Uh, so over time, all of these things really are creating that upstream value system. Yeah out yeah. of which you decide to do something or not do something. This is why I wanted you to unpack that because that's, that's so good. Years ago, I read Blaise Pascal that whatever centuries, centuries ago, right? The French mm -hmm. philosopher, theologian. And he made a, a quote. He said, um, I may goof this up, but he said, every man does what's in his best interest all the time. Mm -hmm. And I struggled with that. And then I started really thinking through it. I'm like, that's deep because it's true. You're going to be, what you're saying is you're going to be generous if you believe your value system comes from the fact that, well, actually God says generosity will reap generosity. And so you are doing that in your best interest, be, right? Nobody is altruistic. You know, we think idealistically should be. Nobody is. See, that's, and that's so, that's so contrary to what we hear so often now, because we want to believe we are, right? Yeah, well, we want to believe we're this paragon of virtue, each of us on the is. I mean, Jesus himself, the ultimate one calling to sacrifice, what's he do? He talks about a reward. You give up this and this and this here, you're going to get more. So the question is, uh, at the end of the day, what's best for me? You know what's best for me? To put the needs and interests of others is more important than my own. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, there's a Bible verse that says that in a book called one of uh, a guy named the Apostle Paul, one of his letters. And he said, do nothing out of selfishness or empty conceit, but consider the needs of interest of others more important than your own. And then he says, why? And he says, you ought to have the same attitude you ha that Jesus had. And he goes how Jesus left heaven, became a man, went all the way to the cross and died. And then he ends, and therefore the heavenly father exalted him. Above to the all names. Place. Yeah. And yep. so right there in that call to put others first is yeah. an example of if you do, yeah. boom, you want to set it the right hand or left hand, be a servant. Uh, yeah. So at the end of the day, I go, don't give me this altruistic stuff. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm manipulating people. It's no, out of a really pure heart, I've come to believe the best thing to do for me is to do the best thing for others. Well, and that's is, the ultimate win-win, I would think. Absolutely. <laughs> and this is circling back around to what you said earlier, right? That your your worldview, your value system, the choices we make are going to flow out of that. Mm -hmm. Correct? Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So how, how does someone lead themselves out of poor decisions or failures? Because there's not a, a listener who's going to listen. And maybe, mm -hmm. again, this... This whole podcast is built off of these guys that made this mistake. We're making this movie about it, and they're still paying the consequences of that. But any listener can look back on their life. They've lived very much life at all, and they, they see these mistakes they made. And maybe they're still paying for some of those mm -hmm. mistakes. How would you help someone lead themselves out of those situations? This sounds simpler to say than it is to live. But at the end of the day, you wake up every day and say, what is the right thing to do now? 
It's as simple as that. And on the front end, you won't have the problems. But let's say you didn't listen today. Well, there's always a right thing to do now in this situation. Uh, and 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 so, Joseph. See, this is why I underline so much of your books. That's so good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, simple but profound. Yeah, it's every day. There's well, now that I'm in this situation, what is the right thing to do? To come clean with it, to respond with it, to accept the consequences of it. Um, you know, there's uh, there's a guy in the Old Testament uh, uh, Hebrew scriptures named David, mm-hmm. and. Uh, I mean, he jacked up his life more than any, but the one thing he constantly did was accept the short and the long-term consequences. A lot of us think it's okay to accept the short-term consequences. I've, I won't do that again. I'm, I'm truly sorrowful for that. I've changed. And so we think the long-term consequences ought to be taken away, and they aren't. I had two of my kids that were runners, and uh, when it came to track, Sometimes you'd get uh, you'd clip the, the heels of somebody in front of you, or they would do that cutoff. And let's say you fall down in a four-lap, one-mile race. Well, the truth of the matter is, when you get up, you have to run faster than everybody else just to catch up. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and once you've kind of caught up, it's like, well, this is unfair. So we want to stop the race and get me back to where I was. Well, you fell, whether it was your fault or not. What do you do right now after you fall? You get up yeah. and run as fast as you can and see how far you can go. And and I find every day is like that. Yeah. Um, I've had failures in my own life, and it's like, oh, crud. Yeah. Uh, but this is where I am today. What is the right thing to do today? And for Man. Joseph, the right thing to do was run, and then it ended up I'm in jail. You yeah. can sit there and be mad at God, or you can go, well, I'm in jail. What's the right thing to do now I'm in jail? Accepting the short and long-term, long-term consequences, and what is the right thing yeah. to do And we now. always think the long-term consequences should be taken away once we've proved that we're accepting the short-term. Hmm. Everybody wants to do that. Hmm. And it's like, no, you drank too much, your liver's jacked up forever. Don't be going, God, why am I dying yeah, of a God, liver cancer? Why me? Yeah. It's like, well, because you drank too much. Yeah. But even as you're dying of liver cancer, there's a right thing to do every day and a wrong thing to do every day. There's never a day that you can't wake up and say, what's the right thing to do today in this circumstance? Man, you almost have me speechless. Um, (laughs) Really, because that is, man, I would tell our listeners, that is profound what you just said. And I think, I mean, even as you're saying that, I I find myself where I'm almost speechless as I'm I'm processing my own life and going, where have I accepted some short-term consequences and and I'm refusing to accept the Mm long-term? That's a powerful question. And then the the application part of it is, but what is the right thing to do yeah, now? Yeah, and it's not easy, but you, we can sell. It's called self talks in counseling circles. There is an ability we have, God given ability, to step out of ourselves and say, what would we tell someone else? Yeah. And when I find myself struggling with a situation I don't like, in my control, out of my control, self inflicted, or the backwash of someone else's bad decision. Yeah. yeah. Every single day, I can wake up and ask what's the right response today? Wow. How would someone uh, find you? You've written 10 books. You have, where would someone find your information? What's your website? Well, uh, LarryOsborne.com is my website. I don't post much there, but there's contact stuff there. Yep. You know, you can always they just can go to Amazon to, to get the books or yeah. North Coast Church, pick up yeah. some of the messages. Yeah. So let me, you, cause like I said, I've read most of your books 
and loved them, maybe all of your books. Um, but one of the titles that I really love is Accidental Pharisees. Yeah. <laughs> Where did that title come from? Again, just I love to set back and go, what's it really like? So if somebody knows the New Testament, the Pharisees are always the bad guys. But when I step back and don't jump to conclusions, I look at the forest, not the tree, I realize, well, there was nobody more committed than they were. Mm -hmm. uh, there was nobody more learned than they were. There was nobody more disciplined than they were. And their number one goal in life was to bring glory and honor to God. That all sounds really him. good. Yeah. And so what hit me is, uh-oh, they weren't the bad guys. They were the good guys. But they did the bad thing. Uh, it's interesting to me. In one passage where Jesus talks about, you want to earn your own salvation? He says, oh, it's easy. You just have to be more righteous than the scribes and Pharisees. Then he gives a, you've heard, but let me tell you a higher one. You've heard higher. And then he ends it, therefore be perfect. So he bookends what we've turned into a ruler to show how tall we are. It's a ruler to show like on a Disneyland ride, you're too short, you'll never get into it. Um, and he bookends it by, oh, all you got to do is be perfect. Well, can't do that. But on the front, he says, you got to be more righteous than scribes and Pharisees. Well, we read that and go, well, the Pharisees were bad guys. They weren't bad guys. Mm. They accidentally became bad guys mm. because they turned their focus uh, uh, into using their growth as a measurement to look at everybody else to see how far short everybody else was. Yeah, and And slowly what happens is, is passion and success can turn into arrogance, you know. Passion and success can turn yeah, into arrogance. because you start out going, look how short, far short I am of the yeah. goal out there. Yeah. And you're charging for it. And then you suddenly notice, well, huh, some of the people started with me are falling back. Yeah. And so then my eye is no longer on where I'm trying to go, but how much further I've gone than everybody else. <sighs> and that's accidentally in that book mm -hmm. and the New Testament. That's how they became Pharisees. Yeah. Uh, they started thinking, well, I'm not perfect, but I'm sure way better than all these people. Yeah. The end result of that choice, yep. you've started down a path of arrogance. Well, this is why I want to really encourage our audience to go to, is it LarryOsborne.com? Yeah, LarryOsborne.com. LarryOsborne.com, because your books are packed with that. Yeah. You, you mentioned one book, and I'm sure just... Yeah. just Actually, just go to Amazon. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're here, let me just, just read one of the quotes off of, though, because you wrote some blogs or something that are on there. Yeah, Some, yeah. I've, yeah. I, uh, it used to be called Larry Osborne Live till I was able to get Larry Osborne. But when it was Larry Osborne Live, I used to joke because it's really Larry Osborne dead. <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> yeah. I don't put a lot of stuff there, but there's contact information and all that. Well, and here's one that goes right along with what you just said, because you just wrote one. I read it last night. I actually uh -huh. got on there, looked at some stuff again, and you, you wrrote an article about the longevity in leadership. Do you remember uh -huh. this? I don't know how long ago that was. But th this is a quote from him. He said, don't take yourself too seriously. We're just a mist that, here's, that is here today and gone tomorrow. That's from James. Mm -hmm. And you go on and you say, when our work is done, God will say, next. And the kingdom will go on quite well without us. Absolutely. Oh, my goodness. That's a deep one. Yeah. Well, it's, to me, it's very comforting. Well, people say of millennials, they foolishly want a world-changing job. And that's true. But I always go, have you met a boomer? They're just the backside saying they want a legacy. Mm -hmm. And I go, you're probably not going to have a world-changing job. And Boomer, you don't mm -hmm. really have a legacy. Nobody knows their great-great-grandpa. Mm -hmm. yep. Play the role you're giving you. Yep. Do your best. Take a nap. And just enjoy the journey. Yeah. 
Well, this has been an honor and a joy. When I used to teach speech, I always told people, get off the stage when people still want more. <laughs> Our audience right now, I guarantee you, is really mad as they can tell that I'm starting to bring this to a conclusion because they're saying, no, 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 we want to hear more from him. And I, I wish we had more time because you are you have so much wisdom. So I encourage, again, people to go to LarryOsborne.com and they can get uh, they can get the books that you wrote mm-hmm. and uh, find some of the messages that you speak. So, But one of the fun things we do here to wrap this up is – it's, it's ironic because we call this no gray areas, and I'm going to ask you to lie to me. So uh-huh. our audience has heard from you for about 40, 45 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, I've heard from you. We're going to see if you can, you can trick us here, if you can stump us here. Two truths and a lie. You okay. wrote something I down. I wrote something down because I'm a bad, <laughs> bad, uh, I, uh, bad poker player. But uh, one is I— I have not looked at this okay. for the audience. Uh, I played on a basketball championship team uh, okay. in California, one of the best ones. Uh, I have won writing awards when I was young. That's what stirred my interest in writing. And uh, I was a CFO of an organization because I actually have some money gifts and like it. Oh, my goodness. This is actually good. You, I don't know if you take this as a compliment, but you're a pretty good liar because <laughs> this is actually really good because I, I could – all three of those sound true to me, okay? So the first one was um, – I played on one of the best yeah, teams in yeah. California. I didn't realize – you know, I've I've seen you speak a lot of it, but when I was just standing next to you when we came in here, I'm only 5'9", but you got to be 6'2", six 6'3". Six uh, small for a basketball player. I was a point guard. <laughs> okay. All right. But still, so I'm going to say that's true. Okay. And then I'm going to say, because see, the CFO one, I know your gifts. I can see that. You you would do really well in the business world as well. Uh, and then the writing. You're a great writer. I'm going to say the CFO one is true. That is true. The one that's not true is any writing rewards. I hate writing. I love having written. Really? Yeah. And you've written I, 10 books. I have 23 journals, all with about three pages in them. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's great. Well, I I got it right. You I got it right. Good for but, you. Well, Larry, thank you again. Thank you for the impact that you've had in in lives in both the nonprofit sector and the profit sector and the church world and the kingdom impact. And as you said, if Jesus doesn't come back 30, 40, 50 years from now, a lot of people probably won't know Larry's name anymore. <laughs> I guarantee you. But the impact you have will will still be going on. So we are very very appreciative of you. Thank you, Larry. Thank you. Pleasure to be here. Wow. Now you can see why I was so excited to have Larry Osborne on here. What a man of wisdom. The takeaway for you and I is Larry challenged us by asking us, what can we do today? What can we do right now to begin making better decisions in our life? We can't change the past, but what can we do right now? Like, follow, and subscribe to No Gray Areas. Have a great day.